have love divorced from the truth and you can't have truth divorced from love well sometimes we're afraid too. like sorry to but like sometimes we're i feel like it's you know i'm afraid to give the truth so i'm just going to give the love 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 because if i give the truth that person might be turned off or people might not want to be you know but but when you do that you're you're kind of you're abandoning the structure of the way things are you're abandoning who god is in that process and you're essentially lying Welcome to the special Friday edition of Jesus is Real Radio, featuring Pastor Daniel Fusco and host Billy Hallowell. Each week we share a conversation between Daniel and Billy, and sometimes a special guest will join in. Chances are you've recognized that the world seems to have an abundance of truths, but a lack of love when delivering said truths. In today's discussion, Pastor Daniel and host Billy Hallowell talk about the importance of delivering kingdom truth and doing so in humility and love. Now here's Daniel and Billy with the Friday edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is real. Hey everybody, Daniel Fusco here. Welcome to the podcast. Crazy happy with me, Daniel Fusco. It's an opportunity for us to look at how do we cultivate happiness at street level where each one of us lives? I always like to say, people ask me, Daniel, doesn't God want me to be happy? And the answer is always the same. Absolutely. But God's plan for our happiness is almost never found where we think it should be found. So we need to engage with God's plan for happiness. So I want to thank you for tuning into the podcast. I want to thank all of you who are rating it. You're subscribing to it. You're tweeting and, and doing Instagram stories, Facebook posts about it. You're letting people know about it. it means so much to me. As always, I am excited to be joined by my friend, my man, Mr. Billy Hallowell, author, investigative journalist, all around great guy. And as I like to say, provocateur, Billy, what's the good word, man? <laughs> I'm doing well. And I, I love these episodes of the show where we get to kind of, I get to kind of pick your brain, which I always get to do a little bit with guests, but I feel like there's so much wisdom in there. Like, I don't know how you contain it all in one place in your brain because oh, now, you, now you're just being, you're flattering me now. <laughs> no, no, know? it's crazy that like, you know, I, people are gifted with all different things. And when you meet good pastors who obviously have been called it's amazing because it's like, man, that's wisdom that it's like in my heart. It's what I think, but I can't get the words out. And you always do that so well. And one of the things about you that is really interesting to me is this idea of hope and happiness and joy, right? Those are three things that I think we all want. And yet there are three things we all struggle with at different moments, right? Things happen in our lives. We struggle with hope. Joy can be hard to be found when there's chaos going on around us. And Yet that's your deal. Like that's who you are. And I guess as I was thinking about that, and I know you've written a lot on this, there, there's this core question. And I think a lot of people listening struggle with this. And maybe you don't even realize you're struggling with it, but this question of who am I, right? It's like these three words, right? Who am I? And man, that's like the, I think that's the key question for every single person who has ever lived and whoever will live. And the way you answer it, really dictates, I think, the trajectory of not only your life, but your eternity, you know, after your life on earth. And so what does that question mean to you? Who am I? 
Well, I mean, that is, that is the question, you know, like that is the journey of life is people are, whether they're doing it consciously or unconsciously, they're, they're asking, you know, who am I? Because, and, and how we, and how we define ourselves is, is complicated. That's actually why I wrote the book upward, inward and outward, because when they came to Jesus and they asked Jesus out of all the mosaic law, there's 613 laws in, in the law of Moses. What's the most important one? And Jesus said that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's the first and great commandment. And then the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And so for me, I always think that identity is actually defined upward, inward, and outward. So you get the idea of upward because it begins with loving God, you know, with all that you are. And then it's inward because the second commandment is you should love your neighbor. That's outward as yourself, which is inward. And I like to tell people that your beliefs about God, whatever they are, whether you believe there's no God, who that God is, maybe I don't know what if there is a God or not, those upward beliefs drive an inward identity, how I see myself. Our spiritual beliefs drive our identity. And then our spiritual beliefs that drive our identity actually drive our ethics, the way that we treat other people. And so when I, when I like to talk about identity, it's always like, well, actually what you believe about God drives how you see yourself, which drives how you treat people. That's so interesting because, you know, when I, when I look at the world around us, there's a lot of people who are like, look, look, you gotta, you gotta adhere to truth. It's all about truth, truth, truth. And then there's the people who are like, it's all about love, right? It's love, love, love. And it's like, if you don't have that balance and this kind of goes with the upward, the inward and the outward it doesn't all come together without that balance because you could be trying to love people, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could be trying to love people and you're out there and you're loving and you're loving and you're loving, but there's no truth, which would be the upward, right? There's no looking to God, having this standard. And you end up actually not loving people sometimes when you, when you do that, when you think, Hey, I'm just, I'm loving them so much, but you're actually not giving them truth. So how do you, how do you find that balance? I think that's a struggle a lot of people have. Well, you know, that idea of uh, truth and love is tied together in the scriptures in Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, where the apostle Paul tells the church in Ephesus to speak the truth and love. Now I found a quote by Bible commentator, Warren Wearsby, which really, really, really has impacted my life where he says, love without truth is hypocrisy. And truth without love is brutality. <laughs> and so the idea is, is that the Bible encourages us that if, if you're a truth teller without self-sacrificially loving the person you're telling the truth to, you're just being brutal. Mm. And, and, and God is not, you know, God's not brutal. You know, God is loving and redeeming and forgiving. And if you have love without truth, what you have is hypocrisy because it, you're really not talking about biblical love. You're talking about sentimentality which is different. And so really for us, it's like, you can't have love divorced from the truth and you can't have truth divorced from love. Well, sometimes we're afraid too. like, sorry, but like sometimes where I feel like it's, you know, I'm afraid to give the truth. So I'm just going to give the love, 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 because if I give the truth, that person might be turned off or people might not want to be, you know, but, but when you do that, you're, you're kind of, you're abandoning the structure of the way things are. You're abandoning who God is in that process. And you're essentially lying. That's right. It's not truth then. You know, it, it becomes, it's falsehood. And so I think that's the the beauty. And I always like to say that, you know, we all want to resolve the tension, but really I think Jesus's way for us as we follow him is to embrace certain tensions. And so I realize that as a follower of Jesus, there are certain truths of Jesus that are not welcome in our culture. 
Now, it is not loving of me to bury those things. It's actually loving of me to share those things, but in a humble, in a winsome, having taken the plank out of my own eye. And so, and in the same way, when when something really gets me riled up because I feel like it's so against the Lord and the reality that he created that we get to live in, I have to always make sure that before I speak out of frustration in my truth-telling ways, I have to say, Lord, do am I embodying your love for that person? Because even if that person doesn't believe in Jesus, Jesus still chose to leave heaven's glory and come to earth and go on a rescue mission for them. And if they would but embrace God's grace, then they would be saved. And so I need to make sure that I always speak the truth in love. And if I want to ever undercut the truth in the name of love, that I have to remind myself, actually, this isn't love at all. This is lies. Yeah. And that's, and that's so important. I feel like that's the struggle too in the current culture. But, but I want to kind of go back to the meaning thing, because whenever I hear the word treadmill, I get really nervous. And so you have this thing called <laughs> the meaning treadmill. I want to know, like, tell me about like what this is, because I know you've written on this and talked about it. And how do we know if we're on it? And is it a good thing to be on it? Yeah. So, okay. So it's normal and human to be on it. Now I write about this in, in my book, Upward and One Outward. You can get pick it up wherever you like to buy books. But the idea is that like, until we come to what Jesus talked about, about this upward, inward, outward, where you love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you love your neighbor as yourself, this upward, inward, and outward framework. Until you land there, Every All of us spend our time getting on the treadmill to how do we define our lives. And if you look back over your life, you'll find that there was all these things that we did as a way to prop up our identity because we really don't know who we are. So like I look through, you know, and if you go, you know, for those of us who are older, we have our, our, our yearbooks, like our middle school yearbook and our high school yearbook. And, you know, you go through those pictures and when you get older, you laugh because you're like, oh, that was when I was going through the new kids on the block phase. You know, that was when I was going through the jock phase. That was when I was going through the, the rock star phase or, or whatever it is. And we, we wear these different kind of almost, you know, masks for a while where I find my meaning as, you know, like for me, it was an athlete. Then for me, it was a partier. Then it was, for me, it was a musician. And then I get saved. And as for me, it's like a Pharisee and then a, pa- a pastor, you know? And so we, we wear all these different masks to try and find meaning. And all of us have done it. You know what I mean? Where there's different things that we try and do to, to find our meaning. And I call it the treadmill of meaning because it is exhausting. It's us trying to define ourselves on our own apart from the Lord, you know? And then really once you, once you decide, I don't want to be on the meaning treadmill anymore. I, I want who the God who created and sustained me tells me who I am. So once that happens, then all of a sudden it's like you get off the meaning treadmill. Cause you're like, actually all of my meaning and my identity is found in Christ and my life is, you know, my life is hidden in Christ. And so now I start to move in this upward, inward, and outward framework where God's loving me. So I'm returning that love to him. And because God loves me through the lens of the cross, I can actually love myself. I can, I can be radically realistic about myself. I'm flawed, but I'm also created in the image and likeness of God. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. I'm an image bearer of God. And I'm also a total train wreck. Same time, all day. The cross lets me love myself. And then because of God's love that I'm returning to him and because of the cross and I'm, I accept my and love myself, not in like a in a self-worshipping way, but in a in a radically realistic way, then I can just choose to love everybody as I move through it. And really the book in these three categories, upward, inward, outward, we talk about how do we cultivate upward living, inward living, and outward living all day long? Because that's actually what's happening. Yeah. Well, and it feels like the the upward part 
there's a lot happening right now in culture that is discouraging people or at least isolating them from understanding the upward part, right? If you don't grow up in the church or you don't have a connection to it, it's not like you're turning on your TV at 8 p.m. during primetime and seeing things that would point you towards the upward. You're actually seeing things a lot of times that would point you the other way. And so you have this really interesting time in which a lot of young people are growing up. Generation Z is the most depressed, disconnected. It's really, it's really sad, the statistics, right, that are going on in that generation out of all the generations, right? Millennials before that were the most depressed, the most disconnected, and we kind of have a new generation. And so how do we... Because I think a lot of times we like we like to look at everyone else around us outside of the church and be like, hey, it's so messed up, culture's so bad. Uh, but we often don't look back at the church, you know, to say, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? So how do we help others around us and not just others, but ourselves focus on that upward piece? Yeah. So I, I like to say that everybody has an upward component, but Jesus isn't saying just, you know, love whatever your conception of God is. He says the Lord, your God. So it's very specific Lord Yahweh, our God Elohim. So it's like the God of, of the Bible. You know, and so, but everybody has an upward component. Now, I think the big struggle that we have, like, if you look at the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were essentially, before they ate of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, they were all living upward, inward, and outward in the proper order, right? And and what's interesting is right as they ate of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, that order got reversed because right away they became self-aware. So, so it becomes inward goes first, and then outward is second because they're still in relationship and they're hiding from God. So it's amazing that in the fall of humanity, it, instead of being upward, inward, and outward, it becomes inward, outward, and upward. And everything's broken because of that. Now, you talk about the generation in which we live, the overriding God, little g, you know, of our, of our generation is the self. So most people are living inward, outward, and upward, just like the Garden of Eden. I mean, this is like what our Bible is actually teaching us. And so, so what I always like to tell people is that if you, if you are your God, little g. You're, if you are your upward, it's very disconcerting when you realize everything doesn't revolve around you. <laughs> right. And so like, in, in like we talk about our, the, the generation in which we live and it's not just the younger generation, it's all, but it's like the entitlement generation. It, it's, it's essentially entitlement is everything's supposed to revolve around me. Mm, and, yeah. and, and, and that's why it's so filled with anxiety, uh, depression is because everything doesn't revolve around what, uh, around me or you. It's like, Everything, God, everything revolves around the Lord and we get to play a part in it. But until someone comes to that understanding, then it, it is going to be disconcerting because nobody exists. Like, like before I got saved, I thought that everybody exists to make me happy. Everyone exists to do what I wanted them to do for me. And if they didn't do it, I got rid of them because it's like, you, you're not giving me what I want. When I came to know Jesus, I realized how prideful and I'm still learning it every day, how, how entitled I am. And, but, but really what happens is, is, and I think what the church needs to do is the church needs to realize that we need to truly live upward, inward, and outward. We need to love God and receive his love. We need to let God form our identities. And then we need to go love people the way Jesus did. And I think the church's biggest struggle is that in a lot of ways, we, we're not doing the ba basic things that Jesus talked about, although we say we are. <laughs> because, you know, like Jesus, like you take the example of John chapter eight, there was a woman caught in the act of adultery, right? And according to the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, she should have been killed. And they're like, well, you know, we, she was caught in the act of adultery. But what did Jesus ever throw a stone at her? No, the story is he just sits there and he's writing on the ground and all he says one sentence, let, let the person who's without sin cast the first stone. 
right? And it says in John's gospel that from the oldest person to the youngest, everyone started leaving. So the oldest people left first. So <laughs> Jesus asked a probing question. The people who've been around who had the most data about their own failings left first. And all that's left is Jesus and this woman. And then, and then Jesus is like, hey, where are these accusers of yours? And they're like, they've left. And Jesus, he's like, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Now, what I love about Jesus is, is like he advocates for her. He protects her, right? When all the accusers are gone, then he says, listen, what you were doing, you shouldn't do that anymore. That dishonored God. But now go and live free, you know? And it's like, it's so powerful because for the church, the church is well known for condemning lots of people with lots of different lifestyle choices, which is actually the direct antithesis of what Jesus did in John chapter eight. Jesus didn't agree with her adultery. You know, Jesus didn't agree with the fact that they only brought the woman. You know, it's like the, if she was in the back, where's the guy? Like it takes two to tango. But Jesus didn't address any of that because Jesus knew that there was something greater than their mistake. Jesus was saw the potential and the redemption that he wanted to bring. So I think the church needs to kind of get back to this simple, I want to love God with all that I am. I want the cross of Jesus Christ to shape my identity and our collective identity. And then we want to move through the world, cruciform shape, loving people as Jesus loved us, living self-sacrificially, living humbly, living uh, hopefully and joyfully, being you know the hands and feet of Jesus, so to speak, in the world as we're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's so interesting too. I know there's a lot of commentary on what you know. What was Jesus writing? Was he writing their sins out? Was he writing? You know, was right. he was he mapping that out? Which I think would be hilarious and amazing um, if he was. I'd be a dictionary, bro. It'd be hard, <laughs> like an encyclopedia, you know. <laughs> exactly. And they're just walking away as he's writing them out. But yeah, you know, there there seems to be so much judgment on one side, and and that doesn't mean you don't have standards, right? You you have biblical standards, you teach them to people, but on one swing, you've got people condemning and judging. And on the other swing, you have people saying, you know, oh, don't worry about it. You know, you do whatever you want. You're the only thing that matters. Your truth is the only truth that's out there. And, you know, those people are kind of like never hearing those words go and sin no more. That's just never part of what goes on. And so you have these two swings or two parallel, I guess not parallel, they're on opposite ends, perspectives on how this should be handled. But what you're describing is very much that truth and love mix. And talk to me about how you then cultivate a God-breathed life. What does that look like? And there are people now who maybe they're in one of those, you know, they're on this end or the other end. How can you help them? What can you tell us that would help them sort of move towards that place of finding that balance? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a couple of things. I'm, one of the things I think is really important, I tell people this all the time, is that it's the downside of a kind of social media because in a lot of ways, it's, you know, Jesus was able to, you know, we don't know the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, but we do know that she connected with Jesus. And so the church often wants to apply godly standards to ungodly people, which actually never really works. You know, it's like somebody has to want, like when I came to know Jesus when I was 21 years old, then I desired to to, to walk with him and please him. And he's changed my heart, you know, in the process. And so you really can't expect, you know, holiness from people who haven't gotten the holiness of Jesus shared with them through faith in Jesus. So that's one. So, you know, a lot of the stuff needs to happen through real relationships and not just kind of 
you know, shouting at each other over, you know, the the internet space, the the, the cyberspace. So, but this idea of a God-breathed uh, way of living, obviously, you know, that's what, one of the phrases that gets used in the scriptures for the scriptures. It's, you know, God-breathed. And, and the idea for me is that, you know, God wants, you know, by his spirit, the spirit-filled life is the God-breathed life, that it's the new life that happens when a person is born again. And I think for all of us, Every single day, Jesus is inviting us. It's an invitation from Jesus to, I like to say, we simply respond to Jesus, where where in the circumstances we find ourselves in, like with our kids, something's going on and, you know, and the kids are crazy. They don't think they're crazy. They're just being kids. But us adults <laughs> like, man, they're crazy, you know, how we respond, like Jesus is inviting us to love our kids to lead our kids. He isn't really inviting us to just kind of blow up at them because they're happy and we're stressed out. And I have so, failed there many times. I know a lot of people. Have. Yeah. yeah a lot of people listening have. have. You you like, you mean well, okay, please stop, please stop. And by like the 15th time, you just, you snap and you're like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And that's hard. That's hard. But I, exactly what you're saying, like having that ability to, and also finding that peace and remembering that responsibility. I think those are really important things. Not to go off on a tangent, but the kid thing got me because even during this pandemic, I know a lot of parents have complained about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, everyone thought, you know, man, I don't know what those teachers do all day long. And now all of a sudden, they're like, man, <laughs> teachers are the best, you know, like, like I want them back. And, and and I think what goes on is like, but even like the God-breathed life is, is it doesn't mean that we never fail. Like, what do we do when we fail? Like, so like, like with my kids, like, so my oldest is 15, you know, and, and for my son, Obadiah, his entire life, things have gone on where I'd be like, you know, buddy, I'm so sorry. I didn't handle that well, you know, so I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And will you pray for me? And he always says, dad, absolutely. I forgive you. I know God's not done with you yet because like, literally when I fail, I'm like, look, God's not done with me yet. Like that was not, you didn't deserve that. That was me and my brokenness. Like by that idea of confessing your sins and seeking forgiveness. Like as a parent, I do that with my kids. I don't want my kids to think that I think I'm perfect because I'm not. I Like the only perfect person I know is Jesus. And that's why I believe in him. And so like the God breathed life is also like there, we know what we're trying to do and we know the, the goals that we have and the standards of how we want to live. But even when we fail, the way we handle our failures is also part of the God breathed life. And like when somebody does something wrong and they own that and say, listen, I'm so sorry. That was not what I was trying. Like, that's not the, what I'm trying to get done, but that's what happened. That's where I'm at today. Will you forgive me? You know, I'm so sorry if I hurt you. Like those words just don't happen very often in our day and age. And I think the church should really be leading out on the, we are not perfect. We follow a perfect savior and we're in process right now. And that's why I like to say that life is an invitation. Like what I did yesterday, good and bad, that's over. Today's an invitation from Jesus to live empowered by his spirit in a new way today. Well, and what you just said is really interesting because I do think that this idea, and obviously pastors have failings, pastors are human beings, right? But when a pastor has a public failing, so many people, their faith is so rocked and shaken. And I understand it to a degree, but I think we also have to remember that we, we can't put our faith in other people, right? I mean, other people are going to fail us and, and human beings are going to fail us. And so while it's our job to be like Christ, to attempt to be like Christ, to work hard, when we make a mistake owning that mistake, understanding that. I love that you talk to your kid about your kid about that. I mean, I've been trying to do that with my with my eight-year-old, just being like, you know what? I shouldn't have yelled or I shouldn't have raised my voice. I apologize. And letting them know that it's okay to not be perfect. Not that we should strive to not be perfect, but that we are going to make mistakes. 
While many of us are well aware that we as believers are to share the truth of God's kingdom, it doesn't necessarily mean we go about it the best way. As Pastor Daniel and host Billy Hallowell discuss today, love can't be separate from the truth, and truth can't be separated from love. In other words, committing to only one or the other is actually bereaving someone of both. While our time with you on Jesus is Real Radio may be coming to an end, you don't have to stop learning from God. Visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to dive into Pastor Daniel's teachings from the Bible. And be sure to tune in Monday through Thursday for our weekday edition of Jesus Is Real. We'd love to meet you too. Find out more about how you can join us at Crossroads Community Church when you visit JesusIsRealRadio.com. As believers and followers of Christ, it's rather unfortunate how often we tend to overcomplicate even the most simple of commands we've received from God. Whether it's because deep down we don't want to do it or otherwise, we have quite the tendency to get off track. In the next part of Pastor Daniel and Billy's discussion, you'll be encouraged to return your focus to loving God, loving others, and let love shape who you are. Well, that's all the time we have for this special Friday edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. For more information, visit JesusIsRealRadio.com. Today's broadcast was produced from the Crazy Happy Podcast with Pastor Daniel Fusco and host Billy Hallowell. Be sure to subscribe to the Crazy Happy Podcast today. And be sure to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.